Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Youth Perspective Podcast. This is actually the last episode of our podcast. And in case you're a new listener, this podcast aims to offer a fresh perspective of misinformation, youth activism, women empowerment, and politics. And we will discuss current political and social trends. You can find us on Spotify, RSS, SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Hello, everyone. My name is Ani Papa, your host for today, I am the Executive Director of Kilisco Youth, the official youth partner of the Office of Senator Francis Bangilinan. This episode is organized by Called Youth with the support of the Friedrich Nauman Foundation. So, whether it be the political, economic, and even the military, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a hard-hitting effect on just about every facet of society. Another aspect, however, is that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a great effect on uh, to not a lot of public attention really is uh, the mental health of our countrymen and of course globally. Aside from the obvious health concerns that uh, we we were brought about by the pandemic, most factors that contribute to deteriorating mental conditions were those in relation to the policies of the current Philippine administration. For this episode, drumroll everyone, we are joined by Gang Badoy Kapati, the Executive Director of Rock Ed Philippines. Let me introduce her for a little bit, our superstar. Miss Gang is a trauma recovery specialist who trained and practiced in the maximum security prison for about a decade. She is a staunch advocate for the youth volunteerism movement through Rock Ed Philippines, where she is also a prime organizer of disaster relief operations. She actively supports the Mindanao Peace Games, a league that encourages young girls to engage in sports and is a mental fitness coach for national athletes under the POC Athletes Commission. Surprisingly enough and happily, we are are happy to tell you that she is the therapist of Heidelin Diaz for six years, the Philippines' first ever Olympic gold medalist from Rio to Tokyo. Under Rock Edge, she spearheaded Project Steady Asia, a web-wide mental health initiative focused on creative arts therapy for young adults. Ms. Kapati believes that peace and progress are impossible if the nation doesn't prioritize the mental wellness of its citizens and leaders. She was also awarded the 10 Outstanding Women in the Nation's Service for her consistent public service in alternative education and is a toy. Stands for 10 Outstanding Young Men <laughs> awardee as well. All right. Hello, Miss Gang. Welcome to the show. Honey, very nice to meet you. Hello. And from wherever you are, it's either good morning, good afternoon, good night, or... <laughs> Or hello from the past. If you're clicking this in the future, it's actually just 2020. So if you're in 2025 and you're clicking this, this is us in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I've got uh, an interesting set of questions for you and we would love to know your take on them. Uh, so first that we have is, you know, we've been in this global pandemic for almost two years now, very long. Yeah. And in the Philippines, in the lockdown for over 20 months, um, for you, how has all of this isolation and rampant illness affected the mental health of Filipinos? Can we identify common mental health concerns reported by our countrymen? I really should start with the fact that even prior to the pandemic, mental health has already been emerging as one of the things that causes 
illness, even disease, not not just um, emotional or or emotional irregularities or non-regulation. It's not just a mental or emotional thing because we all know, um, and science has backed this up, that your mind is really encaged and fleshed in your body. And so when you have emotions and when you have feelings, let's say intense anger, and it does not go anywhere, it really forms a combination of chemicals in your body. And if that does not go anywhere it usually hangs around in your systems if i may explain um, when you're feeling anxious the first stage is uh, you're nervous for example before a big report uh, normally it's your large muscles so you're either biting your nails you have cold sweat or you're moving your leg you know you're tapping your leg it's really um you, that, that's a way of soothing your nerves actually. But when it becomes chronic, meaning constant, everyday, regular anxiety, it actually migrates to smooth muscles. Okay, what smooth muscles? The one you don't control, um, digestion, but migraines, etc. So it really moves there. So you really cannot separate that mental health is so intertwined, if not one and the same as medical, physical health. So before the pandemic, we already had this. Alam na natin to, that I say that in Filipino all the time. We know this. It's already been there. But when the pandemic happened, what, what was cut for us? Well, the usual physical movement. Um, that's the most, that's the most basic, most obvious when quarantines happened. And then, um, the anxiety of, I'm not sure what is this illness? Is there medicine for it? You know, so even just the uncertainty and our brains, we are not used to uncertainty. Our brains will always try to look for answers. It will always aggressively try to look for answers. So just the fact that there were more questions than answers regarding this coronavirus. That's enough to have a low-grade anxiety pandemic all over, over and above the virus, right? And underneath all that, we also have, because of physical um, restrictions, we also had uh, a drop, a dip in our social um, interactions with people, people we love, um, people we don't really love, but but encounter every day. Just the momentum of encountering humans on a daily basis, that dip by easily 98% for a certain stretch of time, then slowly it crawled back up and slowly, you know, you, you slowly interact after a while. But certainly even the amount of, touch that you experienced over the first year or the second year, the amount of hugs that probably dropped in your uh, on your hug receiving average, it dropped. Can you look at all the orchestration of all these elements that shifted for us? So all these effects, when the pandemic started, it only aggravated what was already underneath, you know, regarding the mental health. In fact, I have a feeling it's a bit confusing for many studies, but all of us in the mental health field were aggressively studying and observing these days because there are some um, introverted people who really flourished over the pandemic. Like when all their work is just online, they did not need to like dress up or go to the office, the productivity rose. For others who derive energy from interacting, 
so-called but not strictly extroverted they they started feeling very anxious very isolated very alone very lonely so there's a whole uh it we were really shook up as an entire planet the whole planet was shook up so parang it seems like parang is it's like in filipino so parang in the whole um constitution of humanity shifted you know because all of a sudden there were no Um, social events that you were required to go to, you're no longer, and if, if that brings you relief, then that's great. But if it's, if it brings you agitation that you don't see friends, you know, that's a whole different thing. And then, my goodness, all of us have become experts in video calling, video conferencing, Zooming, StreamYard, every single platform that enables us to actually see someone when we talk, just to get used to that. That also adjusts something in your brain, right? Because before we were so used to other senses, like we can actually sense, you know, you know how in humans, humans, we always think we're not very magical, mm-hmm. but I think we are. You know, when there's someone in the room and even if you don't see the person, you kind of feel there's someone in the room and then you look, that's a certain sense because It's maybe in the air, maybe your uh, your your body hair feels it, or maybe pheromones get to your nose and you're like, hey, there's someone here. That kind of interaction, that's also gone. Can you imagine? So yes, what a great period of adjustment and trauma. So from there, <laughs> we can proceed and become more specific regarding our mental health adjustment to the pandemic. I hope that wasn't so boring. It's just a, this is a really interesting topic to me. Obviously, it's my work, it's my research, and so I was so enthused. So you you can actually interrupt me if you feel like I'm rambling. No, absolutely not. It's very interesting to get a, a scientific perspective, really, on how mental health is the health of the entire body mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we forget <laughs> that, Ani. You know, you if you just see. Philippine lemon, which we call calamansi, if you just see a picture of it, you immediately salivate. You immediately feel your salivary glands react. And you're just seeing a picture of calamansi, Philippine lemon, because your memory triggers and says, oh, I know what this tastes like. This is really sour. And then all of a sudden, your salivary glands react. How do you explain that? The only explanation is whatever you absorb with your eyes and you feel and you remember, your body feels. Of course, we will get ill physically, like medically ill, which is why I think mental health should really be dealt with just as concretely as we deal with the flu, with the fever, with the stomach ache, with a migraine. Yeah, so because, you know, like it or not, our brains and our minds are really enfleshed and caged in our bodies. So how can we take care of our body and think that our our brains are and our minds are in a separate plane? It's not. It's in the same plane. Absolutely, absolutely, Miss. And how this has affected an entire nation who has shifted in in every dynamic possible, really. <laughs> and we got the best administration to handle a and pandemic so too. So caring, yes. so nurturing. Yes, but I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> in case you missed that, um, would you want to proceed? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Most of our mental health is really anchored. Okay, I'll say this bravely. I'll give a blanket statement. You can fight me on it, and maybe I'll lose. Maybe you'll win, but it doesn't matter. But I'll push this truth out. 
most of our mental health is really anchored on the fact if we feel safe or not, okay? whether we feel safe or not. It really comes from the Homo sapiens Cenozoic era where when you see a tiger <laughs> or a lion and you're a caveman or a caveman, you immediately your amygdala says, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. Oh my gosh, large animal with big teeth, I must run. Okay? Then your brain is so fast, it can actually say, can I outrun this? Should I run or should I just pretend I'm dead and not move? So that's the fight flight, right? And then there's freeze, the freeze motion. All of those uh, trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, those are actually um, protective, um, protective instincts of your body. Because may threat. And your body is relaxed when there is no threat right? There's no threat. There's no tiger growling near you. So let's put it in modern day, um, modern day parlance, in the modern day scenario. Oni, if you see a lion and it's roaring 10 feet away from you, immediately, even without thinking, your nervous system will go, yikes, do I run? But your logic will take over and say, oh, but no, there's a cage. Okay, so I'm safe. <sighs> then you slowly calm down. There's a cage, there's a cage, there's a cage. Can you see the difference? And then I'm in a zoo. Okay, and then your mind will all, will all take over again and say, what if the cage breaks? What if the zookeeper leaves the gate open? So you can really go everywhere with the threat. Can you see how you can direct everywhere? So, that, uh, so that being said, I'm thinking a lot of our humanity, kindness, generosity, concern. We're really a wonderful species. We really are. When we feel safe. But the minute there is threat, there is this prettier girl, there is this new sibling who might steal the love of your parents. There's a classmate that comes in that seems to be smarter than you in math. There's a threat, there's a threat, there's a threat. That's when you become bitchy. That's when you become rare, protective. Can I say bitchy on Cal? It's okay, sorry. It's just a term. It's just a rabid female dog term. And that's when you become territorial, jealous because you think people will replace you in the favor of someone you um, love or someone you are you have affection for can you see the difference but when mm -hmm. you're secure and you're safe you're kind of chill and oh i'm happy for you oh they have they also have food so do i you know can you see the difference in attitude and this is not because we're modern humans it came from because we are mammals. We are really mammals. We are attached to a parent. We need to feel safe to be fed. When mammals are born, they need the mammary glands, right? For milk, that's where it comes from. So, and humans are, gosh, I need to say this, huh? humans are really the weakest newborns. When we're born, we really need an adult there to take care of us until we can walk. You know, it's so different from horses, like half the day they're walking, uh, cows the same, elephants, you know, in, in three parts of the day, they're already walking. Uh, puppies, when they're born and even kittens, they still can't see, but they can already feel and smell where the mommy's nipple is and they feed. Yeah. But us humans, when you leave us in the forest as newborns, we die. That's just how it is, right? Meaning we are hardwired to have a caregiver, to have another to make us feel safe. All right. So most of our mental health is anchored on feeling safe. When the pandemic happened, that was the first to go. 
That is the first uh-huh. to go. Will I get the virus? Where is it from? Is it in the air? Is there medicine for it? Will I get vaccines? But vaccines take long. It's only been a year. Can I never go out? Will my mom die? Will my dad die? They're elderly. Will I get it? When I get it, do I? You know, all those questions, those are real. And we Absolutely. all felt that. The only thing that kept us all going, I think, um, is that the whole world was going through it too. We didn't feel alone. It yeah. was going to be so different if it was just our region. Then, you know, all the, the needs to flee will happen. But it kind of happened, glo- well, it is a pandemic. That's what pan means, right? So we kind of felt some, in a back-to-front way, some unity in the humanity that was going on. So I think that's what kept us going, that the whole world, we could see the whole world going through the same thing. So you don't feel so alone. Absolutely. And the way that the it is a global pandemic, so there is the the thing that we cannot control and then the things that we can control and perhaps the response of the people in charge, you know, uh, us as the governed and the government. Thank you for, for bringing that up. 100%. Absolutely. Uh, while the coronavirus is a microscopic um opportunistic cell that needs living things to live and it will damage whatever host it attaches itself to. It's a, it's, it's not an abstract thing. It's real. And therefore it is public services that will protect us as a whole. And pan means global pan means universal. This is every, everyone ergo it's the leadership that will have to step up as parents Two infants, because basically we were infants in the face of the pandemic. We were newborns. We didn't know anything about it. We had no prior experience to it. Uh, well, in our lifetimes, except for a few that reached the Spanish flu if they were still alive. And in which case, if they survived, then probably they'll survive COVID too. That's how strong they are. But us, basically we were newborns facing a pandemic. So our parental uh, source of protection safety, assurance, certainty as best we can will really be coming from leadership. And that is politics and that is government. And that is large decisions of where the budget will go, how much face masks, who will we protect first, which vaccine do we procure and at what amount and when do they come in and who do we vaccinate first? Those are decisions that are seemingly academic, but they are medical and um, physically protect Okay. So when you have an indecisive, unclear leadership, it's really confusing. That is traumatizing. It's almost like a child in the house, really, where the instructions of parents are changing every Monday. Or when your father gives instructions every Monday at the press con, you don't even know half the sentence of what she say, what he's saying. Or like President Duterte, when he gives a press con, it's like every seven sentences, it just goes somewhere else. And so there's so there, it wasn't coherent at all for the most part. So we were confused enough. We needed answers. And yet here is our, um, where the buck stops. So the decision maker, the budget holder, the large decision um, giver wasn't making any sense. <laughs> or in some days he does and some days he doesn't. Some days there are clear instructions and some days there aren't instructions. What was clear at the beginning is that it seemed like 
the commander in chief should have been a doctor since it's a medical uh, situation, pandemic. But it seems like it was being dealt with like a law and order issue, like it was crime. So that, that kind of confused, I think, us for the most part. But then it became crime because there was physical movement that they had to prohibit. And so it was naturally the police that came in. But if you think about it, the commander in chief that should have given instructions should have come from a medical source. Like that should have been where the buck was stopping, but it's confusing. So by, uh, by and large, we really had a tremendous epidemic, secondary epidemic of feeling unsafe and therefore mentally unsteady, therefore shifting, therefore really there was low grade uh, depression and anxiety, low to high grade, depending on where you started during the pandemic. And that's definitely caused by um, unclear leadership. So now that we've covered uh, really the, the the basal instinct part of how we respond to crisis, especially especially something this big, and of course the crisis response of the people who are governing us, um, let's focus on that. Let's 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 put a lens on that. What is <laughs> yeah? What is the uh, the correlation and the impact? You know, of, mm-hmm. you know, Ani, I cannot discuss this administration without touching on um, the concept of trauma. Uh, well, first of all, it, it is my my expertise, trauma, trauma research. And when a person is traumatized, it's usually a mark left behind when they face a situation where they were helpless. Uh, does that make sense? You couldn't punch back. You were really helpless in the situation. So usually when a, a human faces a situation where she has she or he has no agency, can't answer back, can't can't fight back, can't punch back, that's a traumatic experience. Okay. So really we were all collectively traumatized because we really couldn't do anything. All we could do was follow instructions, ask questions. We weren't sure. And when a person is traumatized, when an individual is traumatized, our nervous system records a memory of it, of feeling unsafe. And therefore, we start viewing the world like it is not a safe place. And when we view the world as an unsafe place, we're constantly on threat mode. So we either we're always fighting, we're always fleeing, we're always frozen. There's another trauma response that I forgot to share. It's the most interesting for me. There's another trauma response other than fight, flight, and freeze. It's actually fawn. Fawn is when you totally adore and praise someone. So when there's a narcissistic leader, you totally praise that person because it keeps you in the good, on the good side of that leader and thus you are protected. Does this make sense? If you have a narcissistic parent, most of us ha- have parents with shades of narcissism. That's just how it is. And I think all of us have narcissism, narcissistic traits, but not all of us have the disorder. When you have a narcissistic traited parent, usually you will praise so that you're in their on their good side, and then and then the, the mood is good. So can you see how praising a leader can be a protective instinct as mm-hmm. well? No, such wonderful trauma response. I mean, crisis response of this government is excellent. I mean, what excellent where? And and sometimes I'm wondering which government are they looking at? Are they looking at Denmark? I mean, what? I'm in the Philippines. How is this happening? But 
I realize it is a trauma response. I realize it is a trauma response. And as an observer, I don't acquit them of the of these faults. I just explain it. I just understand it more. Does this make sense? So when your leader comes in, in a situation that's a crisis in the home, it really is analogous to our parental relationship. Uh, and you you might not believe me right now, but the way you choose your leaders and who you're drawn to usually either resonates with how you are with your parents or if it's a problematic relationship, which is usual, that's, that's universal, don't worry. It's usually your preference of the opposite. So you kind of know where your traumas are regarding a caregiver, right? So you usually you'll find yourself drawn to a leader who is resonates with your sensibilities, okay? So if you have mother issues, like really a difficult, challenging, very uphill relationship with a female caregiver parental figure, you might not be comfortable with a female candidate. You might not be. But if this is your, if your mother, let's just say, for example, is your source of comfort and serenity and it's really your home and you grew up with a, with a female figure that was in charge, et cetera, chances are you will give female candidates a good chance, right? But when it comes now, this is the, this is the, this is the interesting part. When you grow up in a dangerous place, traumatized place, you want your father to have a gun, to be very macho, to protect you from the crime. But if you live in a safe neighborhood, safer than usual, and you know neighbors are supportive of each other, the community feel is okay, you'll be okay with a dad that's kind of just chill and etc. Does this make sense? If you it live in a really, it. really, really dangerous neighborhood, a wildly toxic masculine dad will actually comfort you. That's a dad who will make you feel safe, right? Because in your perception, in your mind, and it's, it's, it's real for you, you're not imagining it, the world is an unsafe place. I need a dad with a gun. So can you see how sometimes you, who, the leaders that you're drawn to and who you want to support or who you would like to uh, elect <laughs> to choose to lead you and make decisions for you is usually resonating with um, how you have processed your parental relationship, what kind of, um, how wanting your parents are regarding this, or how good a parent they, they, he, she is, uh, your mother is, or your father is, how good your parents are. So it's not just one formula. You know, it's not just one formula because some of us have processed our parental issues and we know, oh, my mother was rather absent. So I really want to end up with a partner who is present. Sometimes it also determines the kind of partner you fall in love with or you do. But sometimes if we haven't processed it, listen to this part, huh? you fall in love and you are drawn to what you are used to. Isn't that interesting? If in your home, the way you fight is through screaming at each other, throwing ashtrays at each other, but you were a child and you grew up, so you're kind of used to it. When you start fighting with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whoever it is you're dating, and then you start screaming at each other and tossing ashtrays at each other, to your nervous system, it feels like home. 
It feels like oh home. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I know. Can you see that now? But your logic knows I don't want this. I want a fight that's reasonable, that it's f- fighting to fix, a little gentler, more sensitive. Let's have difficult conversations um, and survive it and have better communication. That's what your logic wants. But your nervous system has a memory. It remembers and it almost feels like home. So you're going to have to process things from your childhood home so that you can make better decisions for yourself going forward. And you know what? Habit looks a lot like love. So so sometimes when you don't, you're not even aware of it, but, but an unattractive, oppressive, I have no other adjective, abusive, hopefully not, um, trait of a partner, even if your logic knows it's wrong, you feel comfortable there because you're used to it. Can you see that? Can you see where I'm coming from? So absolutely. We are a traumatized nation. We really are from colony to colony to colony to commonwealth to pretend independence to maybe occasional occasional authentic independence some freedom, some sort of freedom here and there. But but the truth of the matter is we're so traumatized as a nation. We really are. We're very used to someone who does not look like us that makes decisions for us. Does that make sense? Like it either it's the Spanish or the Americans or the Japanese. And then when they came, it became a mixture of both. And then now we can look like all of them because our parents just intermarried. And uh, I, mean, I kind of look like all of them. Like sometimes in my pictures, I look Chinese. Sometimes I look and my hips are very, you know, Spanish. And, my, you know, so uh, Malay, my color is very Malay and I, I love it. I'm brown. But if you dig back, we are so traumatized as a nation. We as a nation have developed in reflexes. Like um, strong man, whoop, either we don't like it or strong man, oh, I feel safe there. Dictator, oh, I like this better because there's discipline or freedom or a woman president. Oh, I like this because I feel safe. Oh, I don't like that women are weak. Can you see how we've been deciding? Mm-hmm. It has never, rarely, maybe never. Okay, I'll go brave and say never. It has never been about service, social service provision for us. It has rarely been about our bridges, our schools, our health system. It was never that. It was always, which leader made me feel safe? Which leader made me feel proud? Which leader made me feel, rah, that's mine, that's my girl, that's my boy. You know, I, uh, so therefore it's really a tribal feel. Um, therefore, we are really feeling voters. We really are emotional voters. But if you strip democracy to its brass stacks, you vote for someone who will give you services like hospitals, roads, schools, um, housing, jobs, trade, trade with other countries to provide us with livelihood, uh, you know, uh, a, a customs appear, a taxation system that will protect us. You're actually hiring someone to take care of you. You're like, you're hiring complex, elaborate housekeepers. Basically, that's what you're hiring, right? So normally you should really hire someone who can clean well, who can manage the budget well. But no, we want someone poetic. We want someone who will make us feel proud, who we can identify with, someone who kind of looks like us. Oh, that's like me, totoong tao. He eats in carinderia. Oh, his cake is just rice. Oh, he sleeps under a mosquito net. That's like me. Looks, That's my leader. Like, what? Wait, are we forgetting 
government is just elaborate, systematized, mammoth housekeeping. It's supposed to give you your services. That's why you elect them. You might want to leave the inspiration and the patriotism and the love of country and all the other poetic things. Leave it to the poets and the songwriters. Okay? Just leave it to them. And then elect someone who can actually do good accounting, decision-making, infrastructure building, yes. loan handling, uh, liquidation of funds. I mean, come on, that's what we hire. But when people run for office in our country, maybe this is universal they say uh hope of the country um um you know the best child that ever comes from this province it's usually that like a valedictory but nobody ever says vote gang because she's really good in budgeting i mean you know we never say vote only because she really will really take care of infrastructure decisions and can do landscape architecture and can really decide on city planning we don't we need to appeal to feelings as if it's our feelings that can actually pay for our insurance <laughs> our health insurance but uh i don't know if this is part of political maturity i don't know if it's it's a cultural thing maybe it's a global thing i do know that we do need to like at least who who we elect at the very least right uh, but we forget that the prime function of a vote is to say, I will choose you so you decide what to do with our taxes so I have a hospital near me. So if I my child ever gets sick, I don't need to drive more than five kilometers to get to the hospital. That's kind of what how we should be thinking when we vote. But no, we really vote. I like her. I like him. He makes me feel proud. Um, I want to back him up. I like the colors. I'll bear the colors all over. I'll wear pink every day. I'll wear green every day. I don't know what you want. But hopefully in the middle of all the emotions, we take pause and really think about which leader will make my nation feel safe, which nation, which leader will make my nation feel, no, not feel, will actually progress and develop because the most accurate description of peace is development. It's not absence of war, it's not silence, it's not calmness. The most peaceful state of the human body is constantly developing. The minute you're born, oh, okay, let's go back. The minute you're conceived, your sperm and then your egg, and then you divide, and then mitosis, and then four, and then you divide it. And after the first trimester, you now have fingers. Second trimester, you now have like no a nose, and then by some month, they know if you're a boy or a girl, you're constantly, constantly developing. Right now, as I speak, my hair is growing, my nails are growing, my body's, my blood is flowing. So I am never still, if you think about it, unless I die. Therefore, the most peaceful state of the human is it's constantly developing, flowing, managing oxygen, ex, you know, excre excreting shit, uh, excreting, so, sorry, uh, ex <laughs> uh, producing carbon dioxide, inhaling oxygen. Therefore, therefore, a nation is just like a human body. It is most peaceful when it's developing. So you need to have leaders that make the makes the blood flow, the oxygen flow, the organs working, that all, all parts of the body have circulation reaching. Otherwise we need to amputate. That's just the way it is. That's metaphor. And that's not just body, that's also mental health. So I have a feeling 
we need to think largely about how we vote our leaders. And then, then we go back to thinking uh, inward and say, why does this leader appeal to me? What kind of care did I get as a child from my parents? Why, why does a toxic macho man make me feel safe? Why does a woman make me feel uncertain? Or opposite, why does a woman make me feel very secure and I will really vote for this woman because a woman can lead a household as I have witnessed in mine because my mother is an exceptional human. And then I will say, um, I like this. You kind of need to address it. I think this is what they mean by the political is personal. <laughs> I think that's why all politics, even global politics, is is local, and all politics is is personal. And you need to take that to heart because uh, I don't know who's listening. As I'm just thinking of Filipinos right now, but if you're Cambodian, you're Japanese, South Korean, if you're Mongolian, if you're uh, Thai, I need you to remember this. If you're Indonesian or Indian or etc., I need you to remember this. Your personal history is your nation's history. Your personal decisions is your nation's decisions. You just think you're a, a microscopic part of it, but you know how a body feels when one small part is, is iffy. Uh, so yeah, you have to see yourself in the, in the, in a significant, in significant, insignificant way. You really are significant. So therefore, and as I said at the start, um, there is no progress for a nation if we don't prioritize the mental health of the individual citizen. And the individual citizen comprises neuroses, disorders, anxiety, mental irregulation, and then we make decisions who leads us. So we make decisions. I, like I said earlier, Ani, if you're used to a violent fight in your household, even if you don't want that in your future marriage, the minute you feel it with a boyfriend, you kind of, it feels familiar. And mm -hmm. when something feels familiar, you feel like you're home. So I need you to reconstruct a home you want, a home you want in your mind. You, I need you to reconstruct, I need us to reconstruct a nation we want to live in, not a nation we're from or not a nation we're used to, not a government that we got used to. Because that, that means we made our traumas decide for us. You're going to have to make hope and dreaming and, and, and um, a, a real optimistic, clearer view of where you want to live. That should be the deciding point, not your traumas. Last, last sentence, when you make your traumas decide, all you do is avoid what you fear, avoid what, what hurts you. Avoid. I don't want that. I'll avoid this. That hurts me. I'll avoid that. Dating basketball players. Okay, I don't want that. <laughs> um, dating photographers. Okay, they're never, they're never home. You know, dating a filmmaker. They're too busy. I don't want that. That hurts me. So it's almost like you're deciding based on avoiding pain instead of going towards a dream setup. It's the same with a nation. It's almost like we're deciding based on our traumas. I don't want that because that hurt our nation before. I don't want this. No, stop, boss. You have to have a dream nation in your head and all your decisions, including who you vote for, has to be going that way. And what's our dream nation really? Where the playing field is even, where social services are provided regardless of status in society, where law enforcement will show up whether you're a hotshot or um, so-called ordinary person, you know, where the police will come and support you, whether you're a VIP or someone in the street. 
right? That where, where social services are provided on equal footing, regardless of connections, of status, uh, of financial of financial setup. Does this make sense? It does. Does. Make sense? Okay. Absolutely. So, uh, I think we just need a more equal. And just a more equal space, I suppose. But I mean, that's all we—that's all we've ever dreamed of. And if you find a, a leader that goes that way, that resonates with the sustainable development goals, that resonates with certain goals that make citizens have better access to health, access to housing, access to jobs, go that way. Go that way and vote for others as well. Don't just vote for yourself. Um, I need to be very candid right now. If you're listening to this one, there's a big chance you're one of the, uh, you're in a social strata that's comfortable. If you're watching this right now, there's a big chance you're in the educated collective and therefore you are generally economically comfortable. Maybe there's a struggle here and there, but that's fine. When we vote, I am generally comfortable. I'm very lucky. I work. I work. I have. I have a job. I have a source of employment, source of income. Um, I've been trained and educated that I can do, earn a living, and I'm not generally hungry. My. I don't have children, so it's easier. I don't have to feed or send anyone to school, except I have a dog. When I vote for a president, I'm gonna say this really bluntly, okay? Because this is mental health. Wherever the president is. Your life won't change. Your salary will be the same. Your access to MaxiCare or whatever it is, your insurance will be the same. You're just going to have a bad mood every day. It depends on who the spokesperson is because, you know, Harry Rocket gives me a bad day every day. And the other spokespeople, whew, equally so. I even have a relative in this government that is not exactly delightful. It's just your mood that's affected. It's not the way you live. Who? gets the brunt of our bad choice. It's the ones who are struggling, the ones who are working, day wage earners, people who really need the, the, the government's insurance plan for their health, basic health needs. It's really the people, the families that are struggling to look for livelihood, the families that need to leave their children here to get better employment elsewhere. They're the ones that are really affected. I hate to break this to you, you rich person, educated person watching this, if ever you are, listen, whoever you vote for, you will live the same way. So please vote for others who will have to depend on social services for you. You have to vote for them. And in, when you vote for them, that's when you end up actually voting for you because it will become a more equal society after this. It will become a better nation after this, then maybe your dreams will change. Maybe your dreams will be a little bigger. Maybe your dream is not anymore to leave your nation, to go to a more developed country. Maybe your dream will be to stay right where you are and develop there. And I think that's what mental health is about. You know, the Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? The end is really self-actualization and self-actualization, just the same for a human, just the same for a nation. So that is really my point. Now that we have talked about how inward the work is when it comes to acknowledging the traumas and how this has affected 
honestly everything, including how we participate in politics. Yeah. Um, the response, our personal response, our you know we've done the inward work. What is what now? Can we do outwardly? So we have social media. We wanted to ask you about that in specific, Miss Yang. Um, the world now operates on um, a stage that is virtual. So Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, <laughs> Zoom. We are recording this podcast on Zoom right now. So yeah. it's, it's it's a very important aspect of our, our human life right now. And since we have talked about, um, we are all home. Yeah. So. Traumas are uncovered. Traumas are newly manifested. Oh, they emerge. Again. Yeah, yeah, they surface. Yeah, they surface against our will. You know, mm. on a normal during normal times, meaning non-pandemic um, eras, our traumas only surface when we're ready to remember them, or when something something intensely triggers it. You know, a scent, a memory, a song. Uh, but since the pandemic, we gained so many minutes um, sitting still. <laughs> Most of the time, we our lives were spent uh, commuting uh, on the mm-hmm. road in traffic. If you live in the Philippines, then that's possibly 33.3% of your day. Uh, we lost those minutes in transit. So a lot of stillness happened and they were it was unintended stillness and so so all the thoughts that could surface can surface and with all the uncertainty around the coronavirus and our awareness of it the phrase what if made frequent appearances in our brains before we slept a lot of us maybe have developed mild to severe insomnia over the pandemic and you are correct 80% 80% of our day we're staring at fonts and screens. If you're even lucky, it's only 80, but most of the time that's even more than that because some people sleep with their phones and look at their phones and they pass out with their phones on their faces. Um, I wouldn't vilify that right now. It, it's really the space where we reach out right now. I told you earlier at the start that we did lose uh, social interaction. We did lose connection. We did lose the touch uh, quota quotient for our lives. And even if, however imperfect, (laughs) the platform of Zoom or or video calls or StreamYard or whatever it is you use, somehow it helps because I can see your face, Oni. I can see your eyes. You can see me smile as I speak. and this is a podcast. You can hear me inhale with every with every word. So somehow there is a, a texture of an interaction, right? So I wouldn't I wouldn't vilify the internet just yet. Um, has mm-hmm. it contributed? Did it contribute? Uh, how do I say this? Uh, heavy heavy hits on our mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. But it is also the same source of space where we have gotten. Um, lifts i suppose so we will take the good with the bad on this one mm-hmm. for now and one of the best advice says i i got when you're feeling something or you're going through something you just just really say it for example i am deeply i'll give you something that i'm truly feeling right now i lost a mentor she her name is Tita, uh, doctora june pagaduan lopez she died saturday She's a psychiatrist, one of the veteran psychiatrists of the Philippines, Philippine Psychiatric Association. She's my mentor and my thesis advisor. She died Saturday. So as I speak right now, I know I am deeply grieving. 
I am deeply, deeply grieving. And might look weird to you because I'm not tearing up, I'm not in shambles, etc. But am I in grief? Yes. I'm just regulating it right now so I can be clear for this podcast. Does it make sense? That I feel lucky I can mentally regulate my emotion. But when you give me free time, <laughs> I'm sure I, I'm sure I'm the, I'll be thinking of the what ifs again. And it's the same with grief. It doesn't have to be an obvious death in your life. Sometimes you are lucky you can regulate your feeling and keep it on pause and then still function, right? I will have to give you something that you need to pay attention to. When you can no longer regulate, when even just the security guard of your building or the cafe says, Oni, how are you? And you burst into tears. That's an indication that it's too much already. But if you can still kind of fake it, you know, uh, people always think it's bad to fake. It's You're not faking, you're just regulating because there's an appropriate time to show the feeling. Um, when you can't regulate it anymore, like when you go into Starbucks and the guard says, Oni, kamusta? And <laughs> you burst into tears. That's an indication of it's a bit much. You might want to go for an assessment, go ask for help, etc. But when you can still regulate it, then, then we're still okay in the statistical normal range. Can you cry at night? Please do. Please do. Um, do you cry? You know, I think that's also why K-drama and um, K-culture is on the rise these days because people need somehow to be prodded to cry or laugh or swoon or feel because there's no external um, experiences, not as much as the normal time, right? So when they watch uh, Teles Korea series, Korean series, you know how their plots go. There's like 18 plots going on at the same time. It will really prod you to feel something. And then you express. And that, that's relieving. That's an outlet. That's like your salivary gland getting activated when you see calamansi or the Philippine lemon. That's exactly it because it can't stagnate. It, can't, it has to flow somewhere. It has to go somewhere. If you have deep grief, which I am going through now, I do have bouts of crying, especially like when I attend Zoom masses with, uh, with her colleagues and they play the sentimental song or a religious song. And there's a slideshow of, of my, my mentor, Doctora, Doctora Lopez. I'm like, I really cry and sometimes you feel a bit silly because I'm just in front of my laptop and I'm crying. But wow, the relief after. Why? Because if I didn't cry, it will it will hang around my smooth muscles. It will be a bad stomach. It will be a migraine. It will be eczema. I'll itch. And that's, those are true. So I think what, what I think that's kind of where I want to go with this one, your total person. So you do the inward work for sure. And then you do the outward work. And your question is what, where to now, you know, um, the where to will take care of itself as long as you start with yourself. The quo vadis question, like where to from now, it won't surface. It won't come up unless you start in square one, which is really internal. Uh, and and I, I love, um, I'm not religious at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm not religious at all, but I'll give you the Filipino word for conversion. Uh, it, the Filipino phrase for conversion is balik loob. Balik is go back, loob is inside, go back inside. So the, the, I think it's so beautiful because balik loob, go back inside, it, it's just saying 
you know, you don't need to venture out. You don't need to convert, meaning like you don't need to shift anything or turn something inside out or turn things upside down and shake it. Not really. To get into the conversion of a state of mind, you just need to go back inside. So please remember that Filipino phrase, balik loob. B-A-L-I-K-L-O-O-B. Go back inside. I think that's the... That's where it starts. And then the question of, so what do I do externally? What, what's the next step? Guys, that next step will be so clear once you've gotten inside. And the answer is right there. I think you'll be able to do it. I can't give it to you right now. Uh, I can't triage everyone <laughs> today. I don't know what state you're in in terms of your mental health, but I will give you the blanket uh, possibly cliche. I don't care. It's not a season to try to achieve to be cool right now. It's just a season to try to be safe. So I'll give you the cliche. Go back inside. You have time. You lost minutes in traffic. Go back inside. Who was your childhood like? What was your caregiver relationship like? What do you want it to be? I know you've had fantasy parents because sometimes our parents failed us. Not because they're evil people. It's just because there was an electric bill to pay and you're a toddler and you were noisy. That's not hate. That's just... It's just parenthood. That's humanity. But face it and say, okay, okay, that wasn't so nice, but I can proceed from here. So what's the great advice other than balik loob? Everything you're feeling, try to identify it. Get the word. Am I deeply grieving? Am I annoyed? Am I irked? Get the accurate word. Because it's very different when you say, I hate my half-sister compared to I'm really irked at my half-sister. It's so different. Can you see? I'm annoyed at, you know, so it's so different. So don't use blanket words. I think you have to be very specific. So because you feed your brain with it because you feed your brain. So find a specific word and say, Today, I'm really restless. Today, I'm really etc. And then, And then you add, I'm very, very sad for now. You have to always add the phrase for now. I'm really heartbroken for now. I'm really angry for now. I'm really irritated for now. Why? Because you know seasons will roll by. You know it will. Sometimes the seasons really stay long. I get it. But it really rolls around. And you know, if it's really dark right now, you know it's going to roll around, right? So always say, God, I'm really, I think I'm really in a difficult depressive season. I'll stay here for now. I always say for now. That's the best advice I could give right now that can cover everyone. Again, thank you, Ms. Gang, for reminding us to, to go inward. And as we have um, realized also that the health of the individual is the health of the community and the health of the community is the health of the nation. I really appreciate how this is a message of alignment because as we, you know, we have discussed so many things in this podcast, we went from um, traumas in the house and then we liken that to traumas as a nation. It is all aligned, really. The politics of the home is the politics of the person. And uh, in effect, that's the politics of the people of mm. a nation. So mm. aligning these things, we really must remember. And, you know, your words, exactly. A nation is just like a body. Its most peaceful state is 
when it's developing. And so this is us signing off, saying goodbye to our listeners. Again, this podcast is organized by Called Youth with the support of the Friedrich Nauman Foundation. Thank you, thank you to everyone who listened, who tuned in on this podcast, listened to the wonderful Miss Gang and stayed with us during our episodes. Uh, remember, as Miss Gang has reminded us today, the power is within us youth. We bring change and we can be the change. Miss Gang, have you uh, any short part words for our audience <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so absolutely please take care of yourself and however way you want to take that phrase you're gonna have to take care of yourself your body your brain your interest your reading it will you know i encourage you over the pandemic fall in love with something fall in love with something whether a sport a book a novel a film and know it thoroughly because when you fall in love with something it will determine how well you sleep at night, how, you know, how excited you are to wake up, what else you'll read, what kind of exercise you'll do. It'll make you move. So I encourage you to fall in love with something uh, over the pandemic. Go for it. 